0: The following podcast contains spoilers for Washington Irving's *The Legend of Sleepy Hollow* and pretty much all the properties that are based upon it. You have been warned. Welcome back, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. This is my Halloween special for 2023. Joining me is Evil Jeff from the Minions and Musings podcast. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing evil. No, I mean well. Sorry. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Well, that's appropriate. (laughs) This show is being released on Halloween, and we're going to talk about the great American ghost story, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I invited Evil Jeff to join me. We, we've we gone through, reread the story, looked at various adaptations. I've kind of gone into a deep dive into The Legend of Sleepy Hollow this year. It's one of my very favorite ghost stories, and Washington Irving's, you know, one of my favorite early writers, and, and so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. This is not going to be a be-all, end-all conversation. It's going to be fairly superficial as we dig into these topics but hopefully folks will enjoy our discussion here. So with that said, where, where do we start? I guess we start with the man. We start with Washington Irving himself.
1: You know, and this is one of those times that I go through and say, you know, I knew little bits, but when I started looking at Washington Irving, it's like, dude, man, he's like a number of the founding fathers and other people back then of Yeah, he's in the United States, he goes to Europe, and he's into several things there. I I was quite surprised.
0: Yeah, he, so Washington Irving was born almost with the country. He was born within, I think, like six months of the signing of the Declaration of Paris. So he, you know, he comes about right around the the time the country's founded in in 1783. He was named after George Washington. That's where Washington comes from. He actually, at six years old, he and his nanny were in the streets of New York, which was the capital of the time. They met President Washington at the time, who blessed off on little Washington Irving. In fact, if you go to the Wikipedia page, you can see a watercolor of George Washington blessing young six-year-old Washington Irving there, which is kind of cool. Um, he act- actually is probably the father of the American short story. You know, authors like Nathaniel Hawthorne, Longfellow, Melville, Poe, all follow in his footsteps. So he's a really important character, char- no, he's not a character, he's a you know person, but he's a really important person, literary, for, you know, for American literature. He also was a lawyer, although <laughs> very briefly, He um, his family was merchant, he you know, was a merchant family, and he... Decide he, he, you know, should become a lawyer. He goes to study law, but he didn't like the law at all. He, he hated the law. He studied. Oh, under, when you, go you ahead. barely passed,
1: when you barely, barely passed the bar exam, you might not like the law that much, you know?
0: Right. He he studied under Judge Hoffman. And interestingly enough, Judge Hoffman told him, you know, you, you study the law, you do good and you can marry my daughter, Matilda Hoffman. And Matilda Hoffman is the Katrina Van Tassel for Washington Irvin, you know, the great love of his early life here. And unfortunately, she died young. And when she died, he left the law behind and and moved on, n- never to look back at the law. Well, never to look back at the law as a lawyer, I should say, because he ended up being ambassador to Spain for the United States down the road. That's beyond the scope of our story today. But so he did a lot of things, but he ended up traveling abroad. And was actually in England at the time that he wrote the um, the sketchbook, which contains Legend of Sleepy Hollow and uh, Rip Van Winkle and things like that. So uh, the characters in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow he is based on a large degree on real people. The names are real names. Um, like we say, he probably based Katrina a lot on Matilda. And when you think about that, the idea of you you know how she was offered with law practice this and that. You can kind of see that connection or er, Wash or not Washington Irving. Ichabod Crane was the name of a colonel in the American Revolution, but the character was more based on a teacher that Washington, young Washington Irving knew. And if you go through, you can find different places where he's pulled these names and and, and pulled the, the people that he's kind of based all these characters on. And obviously Sleepy Hollow is a real place. Tarrytown's a real place. And you can go and you can find the old Dutch church and you can walk over that bridge and all that stuff is there today, w- which is one of the reasons this story still works really well, because it's all very grounded, in, you know, in, in real life in certain ways. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit fantastical tall tale, but it but it's a very grounded tale. Um, is, is there anything else? I mean, we could talk a lot about Irving, but is there anything else that, that I'm missing here that we we should hit with Irving, do you think? Um uh-
1: I think just a couple of little literary things that are, that are really cool about him living before he went to Spain. Um, he's living up there in Terrytown, living in a house up there. He's contributing to Knickerbocker magazine. He's not using his real name, right. He's using, uh, you know, nom de plumes, you know, uh, what was it? Um, Freon was one of them, right? <laughs> Which <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, but you know, he gets approached by young authors, one of the ones that's notable, Edgar Allan Poe, asking about uh, to comment on Fall the House of Usher. So to me, it sounds like in some way Poe had read what Irving had put out there and like, you know, hey, I want to evoke this. Give me some comment on it. You know, so if we always think, uh, you know, some of us think of Poe as a great master of early horror and things like that. Well, we see where he gets his bones from. Also, the reason why he is the minister of or, or I should say minister of Spain. Well, actually, no, it, it was minister of Spain at that point. Um, because right. he gets appointed. He gets appointed by who? Daniel Webster. I mean, you know, just some of the little pieces of things that and I guess during that time frame of the early years of the United States, you know, people that wrote that. You know, law and things like that. You probably rubbed elbows with a lot more of those people like that if you were putting yourself in that position. And that just and it's really cool to see that that was part of it—the you know, literary connections that gets
0: made. Right, and 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 we should say, you know, Irving contributed the the term Knickerbocker was really brought into the fore by Washington Irving because he used that name of knickerbocker is one of the characters that he kind of wrote under and had the stories of, and so the New York Nickerbockers, the Knicks, that comes from Washington Irving. That term, the term Gotham for New York comes from Washington Irving. You, you know, he he his reach actually spreads a lot further than we realize it does. Um, yeah, it you know he actually is a, a pretty important figure. He lived in Europe from like eighteen. I forget when he went over there. It was like the 18 teens to like 1835. He came back here for a while, which is like, you talk about Poe. And then he went back like, is it, a, you know, he was the ambassador of minister of Spain. He came back, he finally died. He's buried there in sleepy hollow now in, in North Carolina. Yeah. It was, it was around
1: 1815. Um, Cause it was, yeah. yeah, when he went over, cause it was definitely after, uh, I guess another person that he uh helped reprint, you know, reprinting of Francis Scott keys, mm. uh defensive Fort McHenry. So you know, he's got, you know, he's definitely an American through and through there.
0: Right. That When he was overseas, that gave him a chance to, to learn and hear all these great European and, and, and Scottish and Irish ghost stories and folk tales and things like that. And that, of course, helps inspire things like The Headless Horseman, because we, we have headless riders throughout Scottish, Irish, German. You can find plenty of YouTube. If you search Headless Rider or Headless Horseman History, you'll see all kinds of influences. And we don't know the specific legend that he picked from, but he was exposed to a variety of these things. And yeah. we know that he used that those ideas in his writing. So, so I guess let's get into the Legend of Sleepy Hollow itself. It's depending on which book you read it out of. It's about 30 pages. It's a short story. It's a quick read. It, it's an easy read. It's, you know, we think it's a 200-year-old story, first published in 1820, so just over 200 years old. But it's actually, there's no hard language in there for a modern reader. It's still a very accessible work for, for somebody today, I think.
1: Yeah. Now, it's very interesting because when I started reading up on it again and I made mention of it, uh, I was reminded informed i'm not sure which way it went here um about uh, minion delta having to read this back in third fourth grade now unfortunately she does not like to read and that's unfortunately part of some of the stuff that happened in the school curriculum and how they you know made kids read a lot and everything it kind of burned them out of reading and especially her um but I will say that there are some, you know, there are words in there that you're like going, man, we hadn't used that word in 100 years, literally. And sometimes you'd have to really think about what the word says there. So it, it is an easy enough read and there's enough contextual clues around it for a modern reader. But um, I definitely would say make sure you have a dictionary or dictionary app or something on there. Or some of these words, just so you really get the nuance, because that's the other thing about the story is there's nuance in the words. I always tell the Minions, the bigger your vocabulary, the smarter you sound. But also the bigger your vocabulary, the more nuanced you can make your conversations.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It, I, I don't know if we need to. I don't know if I want to go really deep into the I I guess we need to hit the story itself a little bit.
1: Okay, so, yeah, let's do that. So we we start off by really describing where we're going, because you're talking 1820 is when he writes the story somewhere in 1819, 1820. um, And it's taking place, making it sound like it's a story that he heard before the turn of the century. OK, so are 30 years whoever, whoever the character is that's recalling this.
0: Well. Yeah, yeah I think it's just really quickly, I'm going to throw it back to evil Jeff here, and I know I'm interrupting him being a bad person here. But, yeah, just to put in context, the story is set in about 1790. We're told it's about it's in the, the far past 30 years ago. Right. But the, the story is at least two people removed from Washington Irving himself he's writing as Dietrich Knickerbocker but the idea is that he's actually he's not writing as Knickerbocker he's writing as Jeffrey C- Crown and Crown found the writings of Knickerbocker who and he's reading that but then at the bo- at the very end of the story we, we get a little post note from Knickerbocker saying he heard the story from somebody else. And, and that storyteller, you know, an old gentleman says, well, we'll say what he says at, at the end after we recap the story. But so, there, you know, we have the Washington Irving, the person who wrote the story, is framing himself as three or four people removed from the source of the story, which is kind of interesting way to, to frame a story like this.
1: Yeah. So we have to describe where we are in New York. So and and give some things And you know, so for the people at the time, it would make some sense. Like, oh, go up to and Z. Hey, there's this little town named Terrytown, you know, and little things that would make sense to them. Things that they want to hear, um, you know. Oh, yeah. you know, I went up there once upon a time when I was very young to go squirrel shooting. OK, you know, and back and forth. And then we get to see where Sleepy Harlow is. Um and we really learn more about Sleepy Hollow and how it is removed from the rest of the world, its own little world itself, you know, which I guess you know, when we take the idea of Sleepy Hollow, you know, they're not as fast on the uptake. they're not really willing to be fast on the uptake and everything. And to that end, they also, Probably still cleave more to some of the older traditions, not some of the newer traditions that we're getting. And, you know, the newfangled thing as we head towards the, you know, turn of the century here. Was that 19th century? Oh, getting ready to go to the 20th century. Yeah, that's true. No, 19th, no, century. 19th century. Yeah. Okay. So we're going from the 18th to 19th century. Mm-hmm. And then we come in and see. This brand new character, after we've framed the whole thing, oh, I shouldn't say that first I should also mention the fact that they regale themselves with more ghost stories in this place. Much more of the old. So it's a way to kind of throw back to the old world where because these people at one you know, at least one generation back probably were immigrants. And some of them they're living there probably were the immigrants, and their kids are now Americans. But they bring over uh, things, and one of the legends being the headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow, which you then learn is a potentially a Hessian soldier during the Revolutionary War who had his head shot off with a cannonball. So some marksmen have really good aim, or else this guy had really bad luck. I don't know which. Right. We we also
0: have... have I was just going to say, you know, and, and they talk about other local legends, too, like the the tree where Major Andre was hung at, which, you, you know, is based in reality. You, yeah. you know, Major Andre what was caught, you know, British, you know, tied in with um, Benedict Arnold. Major Andre was captured in this area and hung. Um, so all that, you know, again, all these all these real events and real locations peppered in give this an authenticity. More so than a lot of stories do. Yeah.
1: And and I think that's what makes a good horror story so real and, and, and be remembered so much more is when you have those elements that are real and you can put places in faces with names, you can do several things like that. You know, why Stephen King's early works I think are great that way, the shining. You know, I remember when that was first broadcast on TV and my parents watched it, you know, and they were, you know, kind of, oh, you don't need to stay up that late. You know, and granted, I was not really old enough to be staying up for that, but it was just you, know, looking back on it and knowing where, oh, yeah, they were living in ski lodge and they're trying to keep it up. and so. Forth. I think nowadays the shining, you can watch the original shining and then you remember what it was like during the <laughs> during the pandemic. Boy, you know, maybe that should be our our study. Hey, are people acting like that now? Huh? I wonder why. So moving on there. So we see Ichabod Crane, we learn about him, the language that you get with describing him. I think all GMs should read this story and, and look at how, to describe someone, it it's not a necessary thing, but, you know, how to add a little bit more to your game in there. You know, you know, he was tall, but exceedingly lank, you know. Oh, yeah. Thin as a rail. Yeah. OK, there's the other thing we have there. Narrow shoulders, you know, hands that dangled a mile out of his sleeves. Sounds like he should be a basketball player with big old hands or something like that. He had shoes feet that might have served as shovels, you know. I look at Minion Bravo with his size 15 boats that he has (laughs) on, you know. So, just a a very great way of describing it, you know, thinking, what was it? Uh, Oh, you know, his long snipe nose, there's a word that you have to go look up, you know, so that it looked like a weathercock perched on a a spindle neck to tell which way the wind blew. And it's great that we have that description because when we go look at the adaptations, we can really, hey, do we find somebody that could work that, that seemed that way? We go through the whole thing of the school, we're teaching, but we learn more about the character of Ichabod throughout this whole thing. And I think that's really what we are learning here is you know all about him and not really about all of the other people except for... Little bits here and there, his and the antagonist to our story, uh Brahm Bones or Abraham is the uh gentleman's first name. But like like you said, Jason, Brahm is a is a good name in there. Mm-hmm. Um and then the love triangle wouldn't be complete without the woman. So Katrina Van Tassel, who is basically the American princess. You know, her dad, the king, or, you know, at least she's, you know, he's a duke and she's going to be, you know, the duchess of this area one day yep. because he's got a lot of wealth. And nobody in this town, as far as we know, is doing poorly. Nobody's doing poorly.
0: But. oh, it, Except Brickabod.
1: Well, except Bigabod, but that's the way an itinerant uh, mm-hmm. pedagogue is all about. Yep. There's a word. and pedagogue shows up in how many of the different iterations. Yeah. most. Yeah. <laughs> My wife heard that last night when I was kind of reviewing the, uh, Disney version. And she's like, how many different ways can we say teacher confuse people? Let's see. I'm like, well, gee, when this came out, pedagogue was still one of those terms that you would use. It's just, mm-hmm. we've gotten dumber over years and we get lazy. I don't know. We don't need to get on a high horse there because that's the, uh, horseman's job. Um, But we go through all the uh, struggle in there. Ichabod shows his true colors. You know, and to me, he's getting greedy. Mm -hmm. To me, Ichabod gets greedy because he's just looking at it as like, I want to get the easy life now. I don't want to have to work hard. It's right here, ready for the picking. All I got to do is figure out how to marry her. You know? And while he doesn't look, he doesn't seem like he's, you know, much to do about nothing for him, he still, he's still willing to stand up and at least not shrink back like everybody else, all the other would be suitors. Because when Brom, the, you know, classic American strongman and strongman, everything, I think one of the versions that I look at, in fact, the Disney version, when you look at him, You can immediately go years ahead and go, hey, look, Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. is is that character? Those characters are so close to each other, and then we go through that, ta da! And I think that catches Katrina's eye, but in the end, you know, when he makes his move, I don't know, you know, timing is everything. It. So we don't know what happened. All we know is that Ichabod said, well, I'm in a grumpy mood and he left. But then that's when the trouble happens and the whole classic getting chased by the headless horseman and then the aftermath where everybody's like, huh, wonder what happened because we don't know what happened. All we do is find his hat and a broken pumpkin.
0: Yeah, couple things that in here of course we you know in addition to teaching school so what we're kind of referring to there he would go around and eat dinners and and stay with the different families of the school children he wasn't totally lazy he would help around the house when he went and stayed at those houses and it describes that in the in the story um but he also would teach choir practice. And and that was one of the ways he ingratiated himself with the women of the community and, and also with Katrina. Uh, Brahm is, you know, shown as good natured, but he likes pranks. And of course, Brahm was bristled that, you know, Ichabod was trying to court Katrina, but Brahm isn't shown as a bad guy here. He's shown as if anything, Ichabod's the one, that, he's the outsider coming in. And it, it says it straight up in the story. He wants to, you know, when Ichabod looks at Katrina's father's lands, the Van Tassel lands, he doesn't, you know, when he sees the livestock, he views them as is the meals you're going to cook with them. When he sees the pigs, he views them as ham and bacon and things like that, you know, and, and he's viewing them as dinner plates and he's viewing the Van Tassel farm as wealth. And his intention is to court Mary Katrina, sell the lands off and go land speculating. Out in the west or wherever, you know, mentions like maybe you'll go to Kentucky. They'll load up the wagon and and go land speculating, which was a huge thing back in in that time period. So his intention isn't to settle down and be part of a community. His intention is to profit off all this, go off and, you know, do the standard American dream where the Dutch settlers here in Sleepy Hollow just want to kind of be left to themselves and 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 live on their own and not be part of the progressive country that's that's moving forward you know right. and and you could argue which of those is the better view the story definitely falls on the side of the residents of sleepy hollow that it you know this intruder ichabod was was going to come and disrupt and you, you know the story sides with this with the of sleepy hollow by far um and, yeah, and they always the Yan- refer to him as a connecticut yankee well they do and yankee Especially in that this time, Yankee was somebody from the Northeast. So it was the New England or not, yeah, the New England states is what it was. So New York isn't far enough north to be considered a Yankee. If you're a New Yorker, you're not a Yankee at this time. This is pre-Civil (laughs) War. At this time, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is far before the Civil War. So yeah, at this time, as just New Englanders were Yankees.
1: Now let's also point out the fact that it wasn't until he sees the wealth of Katrina and and her family that he, I think we see that mind shift in the story too, because beforehand he's just all about food. He really is that classic thing that we always think about with teenagers that could just eat and eat and eat and eat and, eat and never gain any pounds, you know? And that's the way it sounds like he's got that same metabolism still then because he just loves food and every chance he gets to it and i think you know all those other farms and everything like that he was like oh okay i got a life. hey i'm gonna get some really good food here and then when he sees all that wealth
0: that's when the shift occurs right the the other thing that ichabod loves are ghost stories and he carries around his cotton his copy of cotton mathers the history of witchcraft which is a a book they made up for the story. But it sounds like we know Cotton Mather was a real person. We assume this is a real book. It's actually a lot like the Necronomicon. It's a, you know, it predates the Necronomicon is in this made up book, right? But he carries that with him and he loves ghost stories. And he imagined when he's walking home at, at night through the woods, he imagines specters and spooks in the woods. And again, like Evil Jeff said, when you read through this, the descriptive language is amazing. Um, it, you know, at the end, they're at the party, the which isn't a Halloween party in the story, it's just an autumn party, it's a quilting party. And and they're telling ghost stories there at the end. After he shows off his dancing, he bests Brahm because he's a, a you know, he's more cultured and he knows how to dance and all and Brahm can't dance, but Brahm can tell a ghost story. And and Brahm knows how to scare somebody. And Brahm has done some tricks on him with the schoolhouse and other things before, some pranks, but It it, by the end of the story, when he when Ichabod goes home, and we're assuming that you've seen some version of the legend Sleepy Hollow prior to listening to us talk. Um, I'll put a note at the beginning of the episode about that. But so at the end, when the headless horseman chases Ichabod, we don't really know if it's Brahm or the real headless horseman. You get the feeling it's probably is Brahm, but it's left open to your interpretation. And the story ends with two options either he is you know, retire. He's either gone off and turned politician, got married, been admitted to the bar and is now a justice on the 10 pound court, which is basically small claims court, or he was taken away by the headless horseman. And of course in sleepy hollow, they tell stories how he was taken away by the headless horseman. So.
1: Yeah. The, uh, what was the other book? It was one of the other books in there. Oh, oh um, they find a book of uh dreams and fortune telling as right. well. Right. And which which would kind of lend you to think that he would fit in with that group because they have those superstitions and they believe those things. So he would fit into that if that was what he read and, and kept up with.
0: Yeah, it, yeah. Interestingly enough, the the townsfolk, so when after he disappears they go and they they search for him they can't find him they find his hat with the broken pumpkin the next day and the saddle and all that when they go to the schoolhouse they they found you know some clothes a rusty razor they found Cotton Mather's history witchcraft and a New England almanac and a book of dreams and fortune telling and what they did is they burned those books <laughs> and, and 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 they found some palms um to um Katrina but they burned all that stuff and then they just told stories about him after that.
1: So. Yeah, you know, and what else? Lends credence to, you know, a regular person saying that he had probably ran off was the fact that he had just gotten paid a day or two before. Yeah, you know, whatever right. money he had was not found at the schoolhouse. It was somewhere else. It was with him originally. So,
0: okay, that's the the story and. And as I said at the top of the episode, we're, we're assuming you're familiar with the story. But there have been a number of adaptations over the years of the story. And I, I guess before we get into those, though, we can talk real quickly. We've got, you, you know, a couple different big themes in the story. You know, when we look at a short story, you know, does it have a moral to the story? Uh, I, I don't know if there's a solid moral here. It's a good story, but... Well,
1: okay, see, that's where I think you and I are different. Yeah. I think this this ghost story for what it is, is a bit of a moral story. And I think it shows what happens when you get greedy. You know, the, if, when you're getting greedy and you're taking the shortcut, you're not working hard. You're just trying to get rich quick by hook or crook. And what can happen and what is more likely to happen. I, I think that to me, and in this time frame, in that late 1700s early 1800s you know working hard was what you had to do to get somewhere and yeah. this is a sort of a cautionary tale in its own ways going you know look what happens when you don't
0: i i think that's fair a- and i think th- there is something to that there's also the contrast between like i had mentioned earlier the, the progress of the yankees coming in and with land speculation and interesting in wealth and all this and then the the you know the dutch settlers here who were just happy in their idyllic um existence right. and and you, you know they just want to keep going and this is something we can you see in some other writings too um and, and interestingly enough some of these themes are picked up by some of the adaptations some aren't but you know i didn't do any research into this part of it i don't know if you did i don't know not i not would assume there're probably some plays Adaptation on stage, but I mean the first film adaptation we have is 1922. But prior to that, you know, I I would think there probably were some stage adaptations, but I didn't read anything about that.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't see
0: anything about it myself. Yeah. I didn't really look that hard. But the the first film adaptation we get, the first you know real that we would recognize was 1922's The Headless Horseman, which stars Will Rogers. And that's a silent film. And it's a pretty faithful adaptation of the story, actually, except to pad it out. They do add a section in there. They add one. So one other thing we didn't mention is, you know, the school teacher, one of his jobs, of course, is discipline students, you know, spare the rods, both child. Right. And yeah. and he and and he doesn't have any problem wh- whipping the kids that get out of line, but, which at the time was fine. In the film, he it shows that it, with Will Rogers, and he actually just wails the heck out of one kid. He he chases him out of the schoolhouse, beating the heck out of him with a rod. And he goes back, and his mother, you know, doesn't like that, so she starts this campaign that Ichabod is in league with the devil. And the, there's a section of the film, the silent film, where they're going to tar and feather him, and Mr. Van Tasso has to come. Come, you know, Maravent has to come and actually save Ichabod, and they get the kid to admit, "Oh yeah, Brahm put me up to line about this and saying I saw him do this,
1: <laughs> and also made me drink some nasty alcoholic yeah. thing that I shouldn't have." You know, the right. kid was lit.
0: <laughs> but, but you know, that edition aside, though, the 1922 silent version and all the versions we're going to talk about are really easy to find. You, you can find all this stuff on the internet without a big problem, pretty much the, anything that you might have to pay for really is the 99 film by Tim Burton. But other than that, you can find everything else on YouTube or, or where, wherever, but the, the 1922 silent film is very faithful to the book. Aside from that one, you know, that one added piece.
1: Yeah. You don't get, you get, you do get the sense that Will Rogers is. Ichabod Crane. Um, he portrays it very well. While he may not look it like the other ones, you know, and Will Rogers wasn't a small man, but he wasn't an exceedingly tall, thin person and everything. Um, but, he, you know, he inhabits the character well and the best representation of being, you know, I, I'm going to do school and, you know, the sing, you know, this teach these people things. But then also be having a nose in a book and always reading about things and being that, that sort of that nervous type when something could be spooky about something like, Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and you really get that great sense of that. Um, Brahm in this one, I think really is. I'm not gonna say he's the best Brahm out of all the ones there, but he's, he's second best.
0: He's, he's definitely a prankster in this. And in fact, this one solidly determines that Brahm is the headless horseman. It, it doesn't leave it open at all. Brahm is the headless horseman in this one. Um, but it's, the humor comes through very well for a silent movie. I know not everybody's down with silent movies, but it actually, the humor comes through very well in this one. Uh, Of course, you do have to read the cards, you know, to get the dialogue because it's a silent movie, but this is a very good adaptation of it. Um. And I, I do recommend it if, if you know, you're willing to watch a silent movie. I know some people don't like them, but it, 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 this one is highly recommended. Yeah, it's what, Hour 16? Something like that. It, like I say, they do pad it out a little bit, but it actually goes pretty quick and it it goes along. Because, of course, yeah. it's, a, you know, over 100 years old, and it's what it is. The Unfortunately, the chase at the end with the horseman a little bit dark, a little bit hard to see, at least in the version I watched. But yeah, but overall, it's I think this version stands up pretty well.
1: well yeah. The, All right, our second one.
0: Well, so the next version actually is a 1934 cartoon, which we don't really need to say much about. This isn't the Disney cartoons; another cartoon somebody made. You can find it on YouTube. It's fine. The so one thing in the original story, and you have to remember, this original story was written in you know over 200 years ago. There are some, you, you know, some not that are not integral to the story at all. But there are a couple lines of of racial characters that, you, you know, wouldn't be acceptable today, but are, are what they are. And you you see a flash of that in the twenty two silent film and in the thirty four cartoon of those racial caricatures, which were standard at the time they made that that movie and those cartoons. And after that, by the time we hit the Disney cartoon in 49, those racial parts are removed and we don't see them again in any of the right. any of the ones after that. And none of that's integral to the story at all. It's I mean, it's just what it is. When you're looking at older media, you're going to see the things that was nor- were normally portrayed in older media. Um, the But the next important one is the 1949 Disney cartoon, which was put out as a, a film. The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, it was put out with the Wind in the Willows and then the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow part, of course, Bing Crosby's your narrator. And in yeah. fact, nobody else says anything. He does all the voices. He does the whole thing. And, and it's great. You, if you watch nothing else, watch the Disney version of this. Because it is... I, I think Evil Jeff and I probably are, are on two sides. The 22 silent film and the Disney are the best two. Yeah. I still fall with the Disney as the best one, I think, but I can definitely see an argument either way.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the difference is I like the, the 22 version, the silent film, because you get that sense of Ichabod being, you know, that, you know, being scared, being spooked by things, believing in that stuff. And it's a little bit more prominent. Now, with the Disney version, we're talking about uh, the whole movie is an hour and a half. You only got 45 minutes, roughly, kind of in that time frame for the story. And we also have to remember who we're aiming this at. So we can't have certain elements in there. It, you don't really get that, that nervousness in the very beginning. You get it towards the end, which is cool. But that might just be the way the storyboard had to flow at that point. Um but you definitely when you see the Disney Ichabod, that is what Irving wrote. Because I mean it's just that easy to do.
0: And you know? and it follows the story very faithfully. It's not yeah. exact, but it's the now the Disney version what changes the party to a Halloween party. So the yeah. Disney version is where we first, and I guess that's something we, we kind of skipped over with the story. But so the legend of Sleepy Hollow, the, the short story in 1820 predates the idea of the jack o lantern as a pumpkin as such now jack o lanterns is turnips and things like that in the old country predate this but the use of pumpkins as that probably came 20 years after the legend of sleepy hollow was first written but of course so initially there were the pumpkins used cuz pumpkins were were you know in use here in the in the new world but the idea of a jack o lantern as a pumpkin was added to the story after it was written and yeah, I, yeah. so you're talking
1: was, 1940s when because yeah. most of that the whole idea of the jack lantern is coming from irish immigrants so the first big wave of that is after the great potato famine that occurs over there and they you get that first influx of all the irish people for that and we start seeing jack lanterns there in fact i think When I was looking, reading through that, the first text that we can find of the term jack o' lantern and everything here is in 1850, somewhere in there, almost 1860, close to the time of the Civil War.
0: Yeah. So it's so that was so while pumpkin is definitely in the original story, the idea that pumpkin is a jack o' lantern is something that we've added to the story, you know, since. Um, But the Disney version of course has that it's got great. It's got a great where Brom tells the the story of the headless Horseman. the party is great. It's the, the, the Disney version again, it, it just goes, it, you know, it's, it's a very faithful and, and, and a good adaptation of yeah. it, and obviously chase, made for kids, but the chase feels
1: more like what's in the story yep. versus what you had with the 22 version. So there is that.
0: Yeah. Now the, so the next, Three versions we're going to talk about, and most of the rest of the versions, not all, most of the rest of the versions are all aimed at kids. Okay. That 34 cartoon I talked about was aimed at kids. There are some 70s cartoons. We're not going to hit all the cartoons, but if you go on the internet, you can find, you know, there's like a 74 and a 70. There's some other cartoons that are obviously aimed at kids. There's a 79 CBS special that's. Done by Vincent Price called Once Upon Midnight Scary, which only has a real short clip it of the it just has at the party with Ichabod and Brahm and Katrina and, and then the chase. But that actually is really well done with um Renee. I'm gonna butcher his yeah. name. Can you say Albert his name? John.
1: It's Renee Jonas which yeah, he's is a great our Ichabod. favorite alien from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Or, or Odo.
0: Odo. He's Odo. Odo. Odo from Deep Space yeah, Nine. And he's I a mean, great Ichabod.
1: When I read that, I'm like going, there's the, probably the only human that we know of that probably can fit that role.
0: Yeah, yeah. The problem with this version, the 79 Vincent Price version, of course, is it's like 10 minutes long and it's only a real small snippet of the story. Yeah. But but it's a really well done one. Well, In he 19- also, and
1: he got well, nominated. He also got nominated. Uh for a daytime Emmy for that, you know, Renee did
0: for that. So, Hey, kudos there. Right. The, the next one we get is the legend of sleepy hollow in 1980 with Jeff Goldblum is Ichabod Meg Foster is Katrina Van Tassel and Dick Buckus is Brom Boone's. And I want to take a minute. We, we lost Dick Buckus this, this month, actually earlier this month, sadly, yeah. we, we lost Dick Buckus and, um, you know, he, he had actually retired from football prior to my being able to watch football. So I never got to watch him play act, you know, actually play football. So I always knew him as an announcer or his acting roles, but he was hell on the field. From all I understand, he was a, one of those, he, he was one of those players. People were scared of. He was a, he was a heck of a player.
1: My my dad always was you know, always like the fact there were two football players that went on and he felt were, you know, decent actors, Dick Budkiss being one. And then I just blanked out on the other one. Um The football player that played hunt, the uh, TV show Hunter, you know, he was a Oakland Raider during the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think Jim Brown's a good act was a good actor. I, I think maybe there was a couple others. Yeah. But Butkus, well, yeah. Yeah. I.
1: You didn't want to go up against the field with Butkus that often and, yeah. The other guy that we can't remember, because dad, my dad always said, that man just you know sure is rip your head off as look at you at times out there on the field.
0: Buckus, you, you know, when he retired, he held records, and he probably would have turnover records today if they actually tracked it when he was playing like they track it today. You know, he had the 27 fumbles when he retired, which was a record, but they didn't track forced turnovers. When he, right. while he was playing, but he had a ton of forced turnovers too. Yeah, uh, Fred Dreyer. There
1: that's you it. Go. Fred Dreyer. I yeah, good look it
0: up. Yeah. Look it up. <laughs> but now we say Buckus is a good actor, and he was a good actor in a number of things. I don't know that I'd point to this as the thing to go watch him as a good actor. He's fine oh, in this, minute. but he's he's Dick Buckus. <laughs> yeah, but he does play a little bit more of the prankster here. Oh, hundred percent. So this one is very much a kid's this version of the the next this one and the next one we're going to talk about are very much kids' versions of the story. They're yeah. they're kind of ramped down to not be scary. They're ramped down to be made you could have your little kids or not your little kids, but you know, you could have your younger children watch these without a doubt. Um, but yeah, like you know, his pranks in this are, you know, having his his hounds tree Ichabod, you know, chase Ichabod up a tree. But all they're going to do when he comes down is they lick him, right? Or he'll he'll tear up the schoolhouse. But then he's going to go and and clean up the schoolhouse, you know. So when Ichabod brings somebody else, it's all cl- re re-cleaned back up. But those yeah. are the kind of pranks he's doing. He's there's not a mean spirit, you know. He talks about he's going to get Ichabod, but we don't really see a mean spirit in this version of Brom Bones at all.
1: You get more. You almost get more of that out of uh, the twenty two version of. Yeah, yeah, I'm really going to take that guy out rather than De But Who but even the
0: 22 to? version was was I, I think most of these show Brom Bones is pretty yeah decent hearted. You know, he's if anybody the bad guy in these stories really is Ichabod. Which if you go back yeah. to the original text, Ichabod's an antihero. But yeah, and in the Disney version, he's shown that way. You can definitely see him get greedy in the Disney version oh, yeah. right when he's looking at the Van Tassel farm. These later versions after the Disney version. More so than any, these start to turn Ichabod into your hero and make him a lovable character. You know, they they take away the negative aspects. And in fact, this version with Jeff Goldblum, a very young Jeff Goldblum, is the first version I know of where he's not superstitious. This starts, this one and the uh, Tim Burton one are the two where Ichabod doesn't believe in superstitions. and, And he's and he tries to get the town people not to believe in superstitions, which is, isn't a change. I, I don't like that change personally, but no,
1: I, I don't. I, I wanted to be superstitious. I, I want yeah. to be scared of things not being that way. I had my problem with it is that it's not fall It's not new England. You know, this was shot. Well, it's where winter. The yeah.
0: I not where it was, was no, filmed out
1: in Utah. There. So there's okay. snow everywhere. Yeah. I'm like, with that, that's just no, because how are you going? To, but then again, we didn't need to see the greediness of things and he wasn't being greedy in this one. He's just being chased off and, you know, well, hopefully being chased off and, you know, he sees more of a shot at love. So yeah, now we got more of the hero in there. So
0: what, well, well, and then this one also, you know, we're going to have a happy ending at the end. So this adds a previous school teachers come back and he's causing issues. It adds another love interest in here. And eventually at the end of this one, Katrina ends up with Ichabod and the other love interest ends up with Brom Bones, and the headless horseman ends up being, if anything, he's Cupid because he chases Ichabod into Katrina's arms. <laughs> <laughs> so this is definitely kind of a kid's version of it. Um, it's yeah. interesting because of the people that are in it, if, we didn't recognize these actors like Goldblum and Buckus and Meg Foster. I don't. I think I would skip this one. Um, yeah. But, yeah. And,
1: and there wasn't there wasn't a lot that I like, I had to go look up Meg Foster. I'm like yeah, she looks kind of familiar, but there was just a, a lot of movies that she was in. I'm like, I don't, or TV shows. I'm like, yeah, I guess I saw her maybe in that, maybe so Because they I
0: was, live. Well, that's the, the problem. I can't remember her in it. Yeah. She well. Uh, yeah, she's the only female they live. <laughs> I know, but it's still. I'm just like
1: I can't even. I can't even yeah. pull them. I have to go watch the movie again because I can't pull her to mind.
0: Yeah, of course, Meg Foster famous for her her frost or or ice cold. I, I want to. I'm making it sound bad. Her bl- her light blue eyes. I, I guess I don't yeah. know what the right way to say that, but she has really light colored blue eyes, like icy blue eyes. I'm a beautiful lady, but a, a very distinctive eyes. Um, yeah. The next one, the '85 legend of Sleepy Hollow, was the premiere episode of Shelley Duvall's Tall Tales and Legends. This has Ed Begley Jr. as Ichabod, who does a decent job as Ichabod. Beverly D'Angelo is Katrina. Tim T- Thomerson is Brom. I love Tim Thomerson, not necessarily in this adaptation, um, but yeah. So this again has interesting people, but it's made for kids and it's watered down. And now again, we have Ichabod is superstitious in this which is good but there's not a whole lot to recommend in this other than to see these actors
1: and and i'm sorry but ed begley jr in my opinion in this one is over acting he was yeah. and i get and i think that might have been at the direction of whoever was running this production but he oversold it oh well know? so did
0: tim thomerson's prom. you, you could see the over well
1: no okay now now with tim thomerson i wasn't as I wasn't as offended by with his version, how he went about it. I think he did a pretty good job though. When I saw him and I heard him, I'm like going, dude, where do I know you from? You know, that was another one of those triggers and everything. And then go realize, Oh, wait a minute. He had been in transfers, which I'd seen pieces of, but doll man, I definitely had seen.
0: Yep. Yeah. Time I or almost want
1: to say, I went to the movie theater and saw doll man, but I'm not, not sure about that.
0: Yeah. And, of course, after this, we you know, there are other ones. They I haven't watched all these, but they did a version for Nickelodeon Arifray of the Dark. I did watch the Wishbone episode where Wishbone, if you're not familiar <laughs> with that, in the 90s, you had they have this little cute little dog who um who goes through and tells different stories. They have a number of different episodes, and the dog will dress up. He's a Jack Russell, and you know, and yeah, I mean it's a kid's show, but I, I did watch a wishbone because the dog. And enjoyed that, but the, the next serious version we have is the '99 Legend of Sleepy Hollow, where Brent Carver plays Ichabod Crane, and a lot of people say this is the best version. I watched it; it is a good version of it, but I, I it, it is it's definitely a good version you can find on YouTube. I still stand that I think the Disney and the '22 are the best two. But the 99 one's definitely better than the the other ones we've talked about so far.
1: Yeah. Now, remember, now there's two of them in this time frame. There's Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which was a TV film. And then there's the major motion picture Sleepy Hollow, which is Tim Burton's version.
0: Right. Which, which we're, yeah. So let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, now, total change of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Burton uh, said that, no, Ichabod Crane should now be a police constable to investigate murders. And apparently the Headless Horseman is killing off local landowners. So, you know, it, it just seems to be twisting things on his head. Now, for our Ichabod Crane person is a more capable per- person. And the actor who is Brom Bones or uh, the character Brom Bones is a little bit more sympathetic. He might see, seem like he's antagonistic, but I think it's like, oh, you got an outsider coming in and I can take care of my own stuff. But in the end, you know, yeah, he's fighting against the horsemen, you know, to help Crane actually escape at some point, which I'm like, okay, cool. But that, where's the uh, horror in that? I mean, I don't know. It just turned it on its head too much. And I don't think it's worth I, it.
0: Yeah. I like Sleepy Hollow, Tim Burton Sleepy Hollow, but not. I, I it's different enough that I don't think it really fits in with the rest of these. It's its own thing. Um, you know, Christopher Walken is a headless horseman. Of course, Johnny Depp is crane and C- Christina Ricci is Katrina van Hassel. You know, we have, we have a lot of big names in here. I, yeah. I do like this film, but I don't necessarily, like. it's too far away from the main story. So I, this isn't even really an adap- I it is an adaptation. But it's almost where we took the names. It's like where you reboot a TV series like Y50, and you're just using the names and the title, but it's a totally different show. That's yeah. how I view this movie. It's you know, you're using the names, but it's something totally different.
1: Now you are saying a show there. Um, I and it wasn't until you brought this up that I remembered there was the TV series Sleepy Hollow, which kind of taken, you know, hey, we got time traveler going on here, but um, If I remember correctly, I was like, that was one of those shows I we watched some of and I liked it. I need to go back and really start watching it again.
0: Yeah, I my intention was to binge that show this month. We're talking (laughs) about 2013 Sleepy Hollow that was on Fox. And I got through the first season, but due to some some family events and other things, I didn't get to get through all four seasons of it. In this one um ichabod crane he comes over he's part of the british army he comes over he switches sides to the americans he ends up killing the the headless horseman who in this is actually one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse he's death he chops his head off but he dies his wife's a witch she buries him he wakes up in the 21st century teams up with a local detective in sleepy hollow and they're fighting ghosts and ghouls and it's one of these urban fantasy shows um it's interesting enough i'll probably finish the series it, it's definitely not super original you can definitely see yeah. all these other kind of shows their dna baked in here <laughs> right Like her sister like is very much a um her sister is very much a shoot what's the now I'm, we're recording at night my brain's gone the linda linda hamilton is that who does um in the Terminator,
1: yes, Linda Hamilton. Terminator, yeah. yes.
0: So the the there's a sister in here, the detective, who's basically Linda Hamilton's character from the Terminator. There, there's a lot of derivative stuff in the show, Um, but it, I mean it's fine. I'd rather watch this show than watch Charmed or the later Supernatural or you, you know some of these other things. But it's a, again, it's so far away from the story. It's not yeah. really. You, you know, it's not really an adaptation of the story. And that's also why we kind of skipped over. So chronologically, we should have mentioned the episode of Colchak, the Night Stalker with the headless motorcyclists. But it, but I mean, that's just an inspiration of a headless character on a motorcycle. It's not really. Actually, I think that episode might use the name Crane in there, too, but it's not really the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. It's yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, um, it, so that's why we kind of skip that because it's not really an adaptation, right? It's called um, Chopper is that episode, but it's it's kind of you, you know it's it's a headless motorcyclist going after another gang of bikers. Um, it's it's its own thing. I, I do yeah. recommend watching Coltrack though. Great great series.
1: <laughs> you recommend it no matter what. I mean, yes, because you you're, right. You're Jason. So, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: exactly. No, but Kolchak <laughs> is an important series, and, and Darren McGavin does a great job in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we, it have, um, yeah. we we do have... Karate Cops. Yeah. We do have other adaptations. There's a bunch of other adaptations. We're not going to hit everything. But gaming adaptations, there have been a, a few different board games over the years. There is one that came out a couple of years ago called Legends, with an S on the end of Legends. Of Sleepy Hollow. There was a Kickstarter that they screwed up the initial rollout. And then you had to get a an update kit from the company with the correct map boards. But I've got that. And my son and I are playing it. And there's there's like it, it's on their scenarios, and, and it's a one of the co-op board games where you have four characters and they're all working together towards a goal. And the scenarios build on each other. And basically, you're, you know, Ichabod Crane's gone missing, and you're trying to find him, is the kind of the story. But it's a fun game. We played through about half of the game so far, and are having a good time with it. Last year, Disney they came out with a another co op game based on the Disney cartoon, and I've got that, but I haven't played it yet. We're gonna play it on Halloween. So, and if you you, you look on Amazon for you know Disney Sleepy Hollow game, I'll, I'll look the name of it here while we're talking. But like I say, I, I haven't actually played that one yet. But we're going to play it on Halloween this year. It's called Return of the Headless Horseman is what it's called. Um, So I'll give a report of that next month on the show. Ooh, Jason from the future here. So we did play Return of the Headless Horseman. And it's I didn't realize when I ordered it, but the game is for ages six and up. And it's pretty elementary. My wife really enjoyed it because she's not huge into board games. But it was fine, but it's really more for little kids. You couldn't just sit little kids down, though. You need you kind of need an adult or a high school-age kid kind of to guide them. But it's a pretty basic game. So if you're into adult board games at all, it will be way too simple for you. So just be aware that Return of the Headless Horseman is a kid's game. Back to the show. Ooh. There's some other games out there there's some role-playing game adaptations uh, and we're going to talk about one of them. Interestingly enough, wh- you know, and when I talk about, uh, num- you know, there was a, they, they've adapted this a little bit in the vampire world. I don't know anything really about white wolf games other than street fighter. So I can't comment on that, but there was a, a small um, adventure put out for savage worlds for You know, regarding Sleepy Hollow to show off their chase rules, which is kind of interesting. Colonial Gothic has a Sleepy Hollow sourcebook. And that Colonial Gothic Sleepy Hollow sourcebook, tell me if this sounds familiar, Evil Jeff. The Colonial Colonial Gothic Sleepy Hollow sourcebook starts off reprinting the entire short story. And then it gives you stats for the characters and gives you a couple of venture seats. Does that sound familiar?
1: Almost sounds like... Something that's called Sleepy Hollow
0: that was
1: put out by Barrel Rider Games.
0: Yeah, Could've written been? by James Spawn. Um,
1: yeah. I know, we're not, we're, I'm not, we're not hating on him. I'm not no. hating on him. But, you know, hey, let's make something for Labyrinth Lord, you know. And I don't remember when he did this.
0: Uh,
1: I guess I, if I look at the very back of the PDF. Oh, 2000. Yeah is the copyright for the game license.
0: Yeah, so, you can find this on DriveThru. You can find all the different RPG products on DriveThru. There's also a LARP product for Sleepy Hollow if you look for that. So, but we're going to talk about we're going to round this out talking about the Sleepy Hollow product for Labyrinth Lord because it is the end of OSR October and you know, Labyrinth Lord's an OSR game system. So, what what did you again, think about it, uh, the... 2000,
1: 2012 2000 uh, 2013, roughly, when you put this
0: out. Yeah, so what did you think of this product? Um. Well, <laughs> I don't
1: know. I, I don't know if I would get my money's worth out of it. The fact that we have a new class in here for Labyrinth Lord and or your other OSR game over there, uh, The Scholar, which... Really, I guess is just almost a. We're not gonna call him. we not gonna call him a magician. I guess he's a sage, really.
0: It, you know, yeah, I, it's basically call a call sage class. character. Yeah, it's a sage class. It's made to be a non-player character class, really.
1: Yeah, right. but I mean, I do like it because you could use something like this in a in a more modern game rather than you know your classic fantasy. You know, because here. In in a modern world, I guess we wouldn't have as many monsters roaming around, um, and I said I think gunfire also kind of equals things out <laughs> rather than worrying about you know hacking and slashing in there. Um, but knowing more about it, his firearms that he has in there, uh, I looked at it. I'm like, okay, damage is not super hard. Um, but, and the range that you have on there is, you know, decent. Um,
0: the, yeah, they don't unbalance the game, by at all, they, um, there are negatives of carrying firearms in this, in that the, you can reload them faster than I think you should be able to, it's any around to reload them, but because you're carrying black powder in your body, there's a chance that black powder igniting, if you're hit with a fireball or something, which I think is fair, there are misfires, chances of the gun to blow up. And it costs you two gold pieces to fire the gun, you know, gold piece for the powder and gold piece for the bullet. So it's, you know, kind of expensive to shoot, which I think helps balance it out as well. The opposite side of that is the black powder weapons can be used by any class. So there's that. It's fine. There are a number of different versions of firearms out there now for OSR games, this version works it's i don't know if it's the best version it's not the worst version it it's okay they they also they also get we didn't mention the scholar gets an investigation ability which basically he can he has a couple different spells he can use or he can mimic the ability of a couple different spells in in doing an investigation like detect magic or detect invisible things like right. that um, They give you stats for the major characters like Brom Bones, Katrina, and Ichabod. I think these stats are pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I Brom Bones is my next
1: fighter. Yeah, I mean he's, uh, dude, he's pretty tough. <laughs> I mean his lowest stat is eleven, as right. is intense, which I okay. think is overdoing it personally.
0: Yeah, um, and and they give you some adventure hooks in here. The well, they give you stats for the monsters, like the Headless Horseman. He's pretty tough at um, 10 hit dice. He is
1: pretty tough. I'm I'm still trying to figure out exactly how in the world you actually can destroy him, because he, he takes up a lot of damage. I mean, he doesn't get hurt very easily.
0: No. They give you stats for his horse and the Witch of the Woods and... What's interesting is the Colonial Gothic version of this also gives you basically all the same thing. They give you stats for even more of the characters out of the story. They give you stats for the monsters. But the Colonial Gothic also gives you a lot more as far as background of the area. And they give you adventure seeds for before the revolution or during the revolution, things like that.
1: Which I think if you're going to play something like this, having some of this horror and things like that, you know- understanding the area and the time frame is really necessary this is making you assume that almost assuming somebody knows what they're what they're playing in
0: yeah i i, I won't call this a cash grab cuz it's only like a dollar or something but it's <laughs> it's pretty close to a cash grab <laughs> let's be honest that,
1: how many pages is the story uh oh it's
0: 15 so it's not yeah
1: that's yeah, 15 pages on the story there so but yeah
0: half of the book is the story
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> but, I will say I didn't care for the it needed a slightly I'm okay I'm being nitpicky a little bit more indentation so I could tell the difference between the different um paragraphs
0: yeah I, I think that's fair the yeah I, I I don't know that I hardly recommend the product but I I did want to cover it. Uh, Yeah, there are of course a bunch of other adaptations we haven't talked about, but I don't want to go too too long here today. So I I think we've hit the highlights. There's a lot more things you can explore with Sleepy Hollow. You can go to Sleepy Hollow. If you go there, you know, in New York State, especially during October, they do all kinds of things up there. But you can visit any time of the year. Ichabod Crane's house is there. And, you know, the graves are there. You can go visit the church. So there, there's still a lot to do with this very American ghost story. Um, probably the most American of the ghost stories, right? So, yeah, I, I, I do recommend you check it out. I, I think the story's worth reading or worth listening to. You can find plenty of audio book versions of the story out there for free. You can find the story for free. And you can go to YouTube and watch the Disney cartoon or any of these other things. Um, any, any last words there, Evil Jeff, any, any closing thoughts?
1: I think we do it as a game master. You're going to do a disservice if you don't read this again. I said it earlier, reading this story reminded me of when you need to describe things, you know, Now, not everybody can can be as eloquent as some of the authors we have there, but you could add some of that stuff into your game. Um, As we see Ichabod heading towards the party, I believe, at one point, and there's all of the uh, birds in the woods and everything, and you see... Irving talk, you know, mention each of the birds, but you get a feeling of what the birds are actually doing, describing, you know, if they're just sitting around, if they're moving around, if they're just making music or if they're being antagonistic to a degree, you, you really get that in there. Um, and it was just, it was nice to read that and, and re- be reminded of adding that to our descriptions. And, you know, go in there, you know, Throw in smells, throw in, you know, sounds that we may hear just, you know, you're, oh, you're walking on, yeah, you know, your feet are crunching on things, you know, it just those extra things could help bring other, you know, your role players, and especially with us doing things online, mm-hmm. that little extra may help bring people into the scene a little bit more, maybe, you know, to quote somebody else, immerse them in the game a little more, the world a little more. So I think it's, it's a good story for that. Um, I, you know, I, I will say that I've been seeing uh, Joe over there, High Silas, you know, talking about all the books he's been tearing through reading and everything. And I, I have to applaud him because that, you know, I used to have the fire to read like that. And I've lost a lot, most of that and kind of get back into reading. And seeing some stuff, so I applaud him for grabbing all those things. And i I almost feel like how much he reads probably has helped him as a game master and and running those things that he's run, especially with uh, role, uh not Rollmaster.
0: <laughs> no, with well, Pathfinder is a big thing. Pathfinder. It, yeah.
1: No, we'll master pathfinder. It's all the same. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. It it's very important. In fact, I've got an interview that'll be out early next month, that early November, where we talk about that. But it's so important to immerse yourself in the genre, the the game that you're running, because it, you know if you're running a sword and sorcery game, immerse yourself in those stories, because that way you're kind of thinking in that genre and those terms and all that. If you're running a horror game, immerse yourself in that kind of Literature and and listening to that and you know, those kind of movies that way you can describe those kind of things better because you're immersing yourself in that genre. It's so important. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, folks. Go check out Minions and Musings. And, and Hear until me next time, and be
1: ugly about things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay, folks. I hope you had a you have or had a great halloween and i had a lot of fun doing osr october i think it'll probably spill over into november a little bit october went really fast this year but until next time be excellent to each other